my experience, that there are two areas of life where people really don't appreciate unsolicited advice. One of them is regarding parenting. Like, nobody likes being told by a stranger or even by a well-meaning friend how to raise their kids, right? The other area, though, is money. How I use the dollars and cents in my wallet and my bank account is really nobody's business but my own, right? Well, don't worry, I'm not going to stand up here in front of you today and give you the, the long laundry list of do's and do nots with your money. I'm going to let your uh, small group leaders take care of that this week. But even if you're not in a small group, uh, I, I would advise that you um, get your hands on some of those Bible study questions so that you can look at some of these passages in which God tells us how to use the, the earthly blessings that he's given us. Because the reality is, whether we like it or not, there are a lot of passages in the Bible. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of Bible passages in which God tells us how to use our worldly wealth in wise and godly ways. Today, though, we're going to look at something a little more fundamental, right? Kind of a more foundational element to all of this. We're going to look at the attitudes, the attitudes that, that we harbor, as well as the, the attitudes that view worldly wealth in a godly way. Right, Because really, it's our attitudes, the way that we view, the way that we feel about something, which then determine the decisions and the choices that we make concerning it. And so we're going to be looking at this attitude toward money through the lens of Scripture, as we find it in Ecclesiastes 5 today. Even before we do, though, it's probably worth taking a step aside and asking, how does our culture view money and wealth as well as, when we talk about money and wealth, we also want to include today the idea of the things that money can buy, both the tangible and the intangible. That is to say that oftentimes you can gain something that you can't purchase with money, things like power and, and influence, right? Now, the way that our culture views this is that if you have money, that's what makes you important. If you have money then you really have it made, right? And so we are taught, even from very early on, to idolize almost and seek to become the actors, the actresses that maybe you saw a week or two ago at the Emmys, to idolize and emulate as best we can the business tycoons and professional athletes and politicians, right? <clears throat> That's really what life is all about, isn't it? Maybe you've heard that saying, more money, more problems before. You've probably even used it yourself. Do you know who says that? People who don't have money and want to feel better about themselves. Really, the attitude so often deep down inside of us is this. More money? Yes, please, right? And that's why it's important to note that the man who wrote Ecclesiastes 5, that wrote all of Ecclesiastes, is somebody who had money. In fact, if you pooled all the resources of everybody in this room right now, his wealth would have blown us out of the water, okay? And he also had all of those things that come along with money. He had the palaces. 
He had the great accomplishments and achievements. He had power. He had influence, probably more so than anybody else in that area of the world at that time. His name was Solomon. He was the son of King David. Now, by the time that he writes Ecclesiastes, he is probably a fairly old man, or at least um, older than he used to be, right? And so now he's looking back upon his life, and he's kind of answering some questions to himself. Like, what did all of the money and palaces really give me? Right? Everything that I worked so hard to achieve, what did this ultimately do for me in the end? And here in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 to 20, we find part of his answer to those questions. Now, we're going to start here with just a few of those verses. Verses 10 to 12, where Solomon says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. What does it gain, right? There is this mindset that we have that, that money is what brings us power, that, that money is what brings us what we so need in life. And yet, Solomon, who had so much of this, what does he say about it? He says it's meaningless, right? Our, our first hard truth today, then, is this. If money is what you love, your heart will always feel empty. You see, all of us are born with a, a need inside of us, a desire a hunger that, that needs to be filled. And it's not physical, it's spiritual in nature, right? It's a desire and a need to be with God, to have his presence in our lives. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, they had this need met. They didn't have this hunger because that desire was supplied for them constantly. They lived with God, they walked with God, they dwelt in his presence until the day, of course, that they fell. They were deceived into believing that they needed something more to be satisfied, something more to be content, and so they disobeyed God. As a result, they were kicked out of the garden, and God's holy presence was removed from them. All of their offspring now, you and me, we are born with what, and maybe you've heard it, called this sometimes born with a God-sized or a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And so if we're trying to fill that up with stuff, with, with physical things or with worldly things, it's just never going to be enough, right? That, that emptiness is going to continue. Solomon sure tried in his life. My goodness, he expounds at length in Ecclesiastes over how he tried to fill himself up with all of this stuff. And in the end, what does he say? He calls it meaningless. It's a word that he uses again and again. Now, if you were looking, if you were reading Ecclesiastes 5 in the original Hebrew, what you would find there is the word havel, which literally translated means vapor or mist. 
Solomon uses that word again and again and again in order to describe what all he had and what all he accomplished really did for him in the end. If you're trying to fill yourself up with money, with the things that money can buy, with the things that money can gain, with all of the pursuits and obsessions that you have with getting more money, understand that Solomon says, it is like trying to feed a starving person fog. And even as you consume more of it, your appetite and your hunger will only continue to increase. And it will never, ever, ever be enough. Solomon goes on. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Your other accompanying hard truth today is this. If money is what you love, you will live in turmoil. With fear and anxiety and worry and frustration in your heart. Right? The darkness that Solomon speaks of in those verses is a darkness of the heart and of the mind. Because you believe that life is found in accumulating more stuff. And there is always more stuff to be accumulated. The three years prior to my coming here, I was teaching English 12. There was a, a, a short... Uh, can't think of the word right now. There was a short story. There's, I kind of call it a short novel. A short story. There's a short story that we would read each year called The Rocking Horse Winner. Maybe some of you have read this before by D.H. Lawrence. Um, it tells the story, though, of a, a middle-class family in England. And they're, they're fairly well-to-do. They have a, a nice home. They've got a family. The kids have toys. They've got good schools, and they've got tutors, and they even have, have servants to help them kind of keep track of everything. And yet, the mindset of the parents is that of always needing more. They're never satisfied. They're never content. In fact, it starts to become this almost like ghostly echo around the halls that the kids hear. The whisper, there must be more money. There must be more money. There must be more money. And so even when they start to accumulate money through some kind of bizarre means, it's still not enough. Then they need more money to take care of the things that they have just bought. They need more, they need more. And it wreaks absolute havoc on one of their children. This is that, that darkness, though, that turmoil that Solomon is talking about that comes with that obsession over money and wealth and what we think it's going to get for us. So I'm going to get very direct with you at this point. Let's understand, yes, we all come from, from different backgrounds. We all have different financial situations. And yet, there are some attitudes which, no matter how, if you have a ton or a little, there are some attitudes about money that have a way of pervading every financial class of people. 
So I'm sorry if I start to sound a little bit like a Jeff Foxworthy routine here, but here goes. If work and business mean that you are hardly ever coming to God's house for worship or gathering around other members, gathering with other members around God's word, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you find that you can't give generously and often both to the ministry of the church and also to the poor and needy around you, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you find that you're losing sleep because you're stressed about your finances, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you think that you need more money before you can finally be content and satisfied, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you're willing to deceive others in business or to cut corners on your taxes, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you find that you can't open the purse strings even a little bit to enjoy some of the, the simple pleasures and blessings of life because you're so worried about the bottom line in your bank account, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you believe that money makes you important and that more money will make you more important, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. If you hear of a friend or a fellow member in the congregation that is in need and yet you figure that you can't do anything to help them, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. Now by this point, I have probably at least put you, all of you, into one of these categories or another. And I will be completely honest with you, the reason why I was able to come up with such a list is because I know that I fall into so many of these categories too. But if you think that, that you're standing firm in this area, that, that money attitudes, that, that ungodly attitudes about material wealth are not something that you really struggle with, I'm going to share with you that I used to think that way too. I used to think that I didn't really struggle in this area. I was willing to give generously to the church. I was willing to share with people in need. I was willing even just to, to spend money on friends sometimes so that, so that they can enjoy something. I didn't stay up at night worrying about money and finances and numbers. And then my wife and I moved to Colorado where the cost of living was approximately double what it had been in Nebraska. When money had been in plenty, there was no worry. When money started to get a little tight, well, that's when those sleepless nights started to come. The attitude was really there lurking underneath the whole time. It simply took a change in circumstances to bring that out of me. Another way of saying it, I started to finally show symptoms of the problem. And so again, if you think that you're standing firm in this area, be careful and continue to, to keep your heart guarded because sometimes all it takes is a dramatic change of circumstances, isn't it? I, I do think we have to ask the question, why though? Why so much fear? Why so much anxiety over this? Well, part of it has to do with the fact that, that we do, we, we are deceived into thinking that we are going to gain satisfaction and comfort. And I think the reason we think that is because we do get a little bit, don't we? It doesn't last, though, does it? And so we think we need more, like that family in the short story that I mentioned. And yet, 
there is still this undercurrent always in our lives. There is this knowledge of what is coming, and Solomon brought that up in our verses, that sooner or later, you are going to be separated from everything that you have in this life. Whether you have much or little, death is coming, and when it does, you will no longer have those things that you took even those small comforts and satisfactions in. Well, thanks for the real uplifting message here, Pastor Dan. Um, you've given us a lot to be happy about today. We need to go on, okay? Because as we get into these last verses, this is where Solomon now provides the solution to the whole matter. Solomon says, this is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Now Solomon is saying here that when we toil... In order to achieve satisfaction and gladness for ourselves, it doesn't work. The toil, though, now in these verses is different. This is one who is toiling with happiness right there alongside them as they work. This is one who is working with satisfaction hand in hand accompanying them. How does a person come to this point? How does a person arrive here where Solomon finally, it seems, has? He finishes by saying they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And understand this is not just that God is sending them things to keep them busy and happy. No, it's God himself who is filling them up, who is occupying them. We use that word all the time in that way, right? You might run into a friend and, and, and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What have you been doing with your life? They say, oh, I'm just, I'm so occupied by work lately, right? What do they mean? They don't mean that work is giving them like a bunch of random things that are filling their time. They're saying that their life is filled up and is revolving around work, right? And that's the way that we're using that word here. That's the way that Solomon is using this. He is speaking of the one whose life and whose heart is filled up and occupied with God. The life which doesn't just have God in part or in parcel one hour a week on Sunday mornings, but the one whose entire existence revolves around the Lord. In this, he says then, that there is satisfaction and there is gladness of heart. And why is that? The answer is kind of obvious. It's because only God is big enough to fill up that God-sized hole in our hearts. And so there won't be satisfaction. There won't be true joy in life until he is right where he belongs. But doesn't this bring us to one final problem? Didn't we mention earlier in the service about how when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed, that presence was withdrawn and taken away from them? Well, yes, that certainly is true. 
But God is also the one who provides the solution to that problem. That presence was removed with Adam and Eve's disobedience, but now through the obedience of the one and only Son, Jesus, it is restored to us again. Whereas we have a mile-long list of disobedience and unrighteousness in our lives, when, when Jesus came, he was filled with his Father in every way. In what he said, what he did, even all the way down to the attitudes of his heart, his life revolved entirely around his Father in heaven. And then, he made himself that substitutionary sacrifice, taking our sins, our unrighteousness upon himself so that he could hand over to us his holiness. Yes, holy God cannot dwell in the presence of sinful people, and he doesn't. Through Jesus, holy God dwells in the presence of his holy people. And with that holiness, there now comes an end to that long separation between you and God as he gathers you again into his arms and into his own family. That hostility is ended in the peace treaty that is signed by the blood of Jesus. And now with that reconciliation come all of those other things that we think we are going to achieve through money and through having more stuff and through everything else that we think it'll buy us. In that reconciliation, we find true purpose in life. In that reconciliation, we find worth that no amount of money can change whatsoever. We find true significance and everlasting protection and security. We find things, in fact, which not even death can separate from us because not even death can separate us from our God and from his love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, now even death only brings you closer and nearer into that presence. So here's our, our beautiful truth today. When God is what you love, you will have gladness of heart no matter how much money you have. It took Solomon a while to figure this out, but it does seem that eventually by the end of his life, he finally got it. May God grant that it not take us so long. May God grant that we have hearts and attitudes about money that are transformed by his grace, by our relationship with him, and by his everlasting presence in our lives. Amen. Thank you.